0: Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. Well, good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you
1: are in the world. This is Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey, and you're listening to Transformational Energy Leadership coming to you live from the heartland of America. Today's show is all about leaders aspiring to reach and succeed at the executive level. However... About 50% of newly appointed executives fail. Why is that? We are going to dive deep into this today. Now, before we get started, a quick reminder to go to my website during the commercial breaks, that's transformationalenergyleadership.com, where you can learn more about me and my business offerings, and you can also contact me by emailing me at mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. You can go to this platform, is voiceamerica.com, under the Empowerment Channel, and you can find my show on there. You can also find me on social media, on LinkedIn and Facebook. Facebook. And for all the listening audience out there, this is a live show, so please feel free to call in with your comments or questions. Now, today's show is called Leading at Higher Altitudes. And joining me is Ron Carucci. He is the co founder and managing partner of Navalent, where he works with CEOs and executives pursuing transformational change for their organizations, leaders, and industries. Now, just to give you a little bit about Ron, He has a 30-year track record helping some of the world's most influential executives tackle challenges of strategy, organization, and leadership in 25 countries on four continents. He is the best-selling author of eight books, including the recent Amazon number one bestseller called Rising to Power. He is a regular contributor to HBR and Forbes. He's been featured in Fortune, CEO Magazine, Business Insider, MSNBC, Business Week, Smart Business, and so much more. So without further ado, Ron, welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership.
2: Have you? hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you.
1: I'm glad to have you, too. He's, by the way, everyone, he's calling in from my, my home state of Washington State, so a shout-out to all of you out there. So, Ron, I wanted to kick this off because the title of today's show incorporates the word leadership and the word altitudes, and I'm thinking the word altitude is not just a coincidence.
2: Well, you know, I mean, I think people don't appreciate, we're so conditioned to think that our careers are upward, upward trajectories, that... Uh, acquiring ever-increasing levels of responsibility in an organization on a hierarchical org chart means more success, it means more uh, perks, it means more financial rewards. And so what we don't ever expect is that it means greater levels of risk, greater levels of uncertainty and ambiguity, and much the way we think about mountain climbers, it it means more altitude sickness, right? You know, when mountain climbers Mm -hmm. prepare themselves to climb mountains, they have to acclimatize. Um, The air is thinner, they have to breathe differently, and what most people don't appreciate about rising up in organizations is that the air center, you have to breathe differently. Um, the political currents are different. The relational currents are different. To The political currents are different, and those are often the things that people don't tell you about um, when you rise up, and so we definitely did choose the word altitude on purpose to help people recognize that um, upward ascent is not simply some autopilot experience we should all be wanting. Um, much less assume we're ready for because someone conferred upon a bigger job to us.
1: Yeah, and when I'm hearing you talk about all of that, the phrase, it's lonely at the top, sounds very real for many people who get to that level because it's different skills, different characteristics, ambiguity and politics and all the things that you just mentioned makes it very real. You know, in your book, I really appreciate the metaphor that you bring forth called wing-walking in the reference in the book. Would you mind sharing that with the listening audience, wing-walking?
2: Yeah. You know, back in the 20s, um, when uh, aerial stunt artists would perform at acrobatic circuses, they would, you know, in a a two-wing biplane, they'd get up in the air and they'd walk across the wing. Um, And of course, much of this was done for entertainment purposes, but actually those early aerial stunt wing-walkers were doing refueling maneuvers and doing all kinds of technical things that later taught us about aerospace technology. But, of course, the rule number one in wing walking was you never let go of the wing you're holding on to until you have a firm grasp on the wing strut you're going to. And too many, too many wing walkers either froze in fear um, as they would head across the wing or they let go of the, the one wing too soon before having a firm grasp on the other. And, of course, they got blown off the wing. Um, Rising up at organizations at the executive level can be similar to that. You can either freeze and not assume the new reins of your role, or you can leap too quickly before you're ready. Um, and so we we chose a high risk metaphor intentionally to help honor the the leaders who are having the experience of, of rising up uh, with, a, with 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 letting them. We appreciate and understand um, that. Uh, it, it very much feels like that to the executive doing it,
1: and, and that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm thinking of the book, The Leadership Pipeline, where you know when you navigate your career upwards, you really have to master where you are now and also be playing in the space ahead of you, so that you can make that successful wing walk, if you will, from one from one role to the next. Would you agree? Well, I, yeah, I do think that.
2: I, I think that. Um, it's not necessarily automatic. I think we have to appreciate, given the statistics of failure that we're seeing these days, that um, uh, w- we-, we make too many assumptions, I think, in organizations that leaders simply, uh, it's their turn to be promoted, or they've been a middle manager a long time, or there isn't anybody else for the role. And those pipelines, I think, don't move um, as fluidly as they used to in this dynamic environment. Uh, and I think uh, while organizations, I think, talk about wanting to do better preparation, we have all kinds of talent management pipeline processes that categorize people and put them in boxes and give them labels and call them high potential. But the reality is so li- they're being categorized, but so little's being done to really prepare
1: them. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm yeah, you're right. It's not just a matter of checking off a series of things it's It's so much more than that. You know uh, one thing, as you reflect on the years of work that you've done working with leaders, what would you say is the difference now of people who are entering the CEO level, say, those who are entering 10, 15 years ago?
2: Well, I think there's a I mean, interestingly enough, technological disruption was a was a real thing you know in in two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Um but not not nearly to the degree it is today, I think you have um, w- your life at the at that level was always going to play out on the jumbotron right you We're always going to walk around with a virtual megaphone strapped to your mouth and, and everything you did was going to be amplified today in a in a social media me too leaders are to be distrusted before their trusted environment um the 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 fall from grace happens quicker. People almost expect it, um, and it's a much more hostile environment to leaders. Um, mm-hmm. You have much more activist boards on, on publicly traded companies, who are far more interested in, um, uh, you know, engaging in, in their shareholder returns and um, bucking regulations to try and push CEOs to make more short term. Interested decisions. So the risk levels um, uh, are higher. And I think, you know, fewer and fewer people are, you know, taking the long term career approaches to getting those jobs. Now they're either arriving in them from the oddest places, they're being left into them uh, uh, prematurely, um, and fewer and fewer people want. Those roles now. You have people who are barely on corporate America, and they want smaller startup opportunities. They want less politics and less crap uh, and the nonsense that goes with large bureaucracies. That they, we say that's what they perceive. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the available talent to even take those jobs, and much less cultivate them for it, are, is shrinking.
1: And uh, the pool is shrinking, so that leads me to the the big question. And we opened the show with saying fifty percent of people who enter that sea level they fail. Why? What do you see as the causes that that these young, younger leaders are failing in the first eighteen months?
2: Well, you know, Matthew, when we began the research for our ten year study for the book, uh, it was it was probably by a personal. You know, we got a phone call from an organization, a leader that we'd worked with, who had distinguished himself uh, in doing a, a large transformational de- design project. And so when he was given the chance in the new design to take on a much broader role, nobody was surprised. Everybody thought he'll do great. He, of course, this makes sense for his career. And about nine months later when he called, uh, I assumed he was calling to check in and say hi. He was calling to tell me he had been fired. Wow. And mm-hmm. uh, I was shocked. And then about two hours later, the CEO also called me. To let me know they let him go, and was frustrated, and more than subtly implied that part of part of his failure was my responsibility for not having better prepared him. And of course, that's devastating to hear, right? So mm-hmm. I asked if we might come back in uh, on our own time and just say, could we, could we sniff around? I mean, I just—it's hard to understand how could we have so misjudged his ability and potential. How could we have mis- mistakenly calculated that he was not ready for this? And we so we, that, that and it was that short investigation that led to our ten-year study. Turns out that statistic is about twenty years old. It's not new news. Um, the recruiters love it because it's an annuity for them. But short of that, it's the uh-huh. carnage and the destroyed careers and the missed opportunities that are horrible. And so we wanted to find. I wanted to turn over every single rock mm-hmm. we could possibly find. What what could possibly have been the landmines? that would take somebody that everybody assumed had the highest levels of potential and turn them into a disaster in nine months. Well, turns out, Matthew, uh, it, with all of the landmines organizations put in the way of these promising leaders, it's a wonder any of them succeed. Um, the, the, from the minute we begin appointing them, we set the seeds of failure in place. Here's an example. So during a selection process, whether it's somebody from inside the organization or somebody from outside the organization, We're still using, in 2018, the least most reliable device to determine someone's readiness for a role, their resume. We're looking Uh, back on their career history and using that to determine what can come next. And we say things to them like, wow, look at these great brands you've built in your career. That's what we need in this job. Or we'll say, oh, my gosh, you've turned around three supply chains. That's what we need here. Or we'll say, look at these great teams of salespeople you've cultivated in your career. we That's exactly what we need here. And we deliver to those candidates a message that says, you have a recipe. You have a formula. And we'd like you to apply it here. We've now given them permission. In fact, we've subtly implied we have an expectation that you're going to ignore the context here for in whatever we're suffering with or whatever pains we have. And you're going to take your recipe for success and you're going to slap it on here. So the new new executive rises up or enters in and starts doing what they think they have a mandate to do. They start applying their their past successes to the environment. And, of course, when the environment doesn't respond, when they resist, they just slap harder. Then they get frustrated that the environment's not responding. Then Then their diagnosis becomes an indictment. They start saying things like, how have you people survived this long? Or they'll go to their hiring manager and they'll say, you didn't tell me it was this bad. And the seeds of failure have been sown. Why? It's a failure of context. This person has failed to recognize that they they have as much to adapt in themselves as they have to change in the environment. They have as much to they 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 have to adapt. Not enough. Not so much to go native and, and lose their outsiderness. But they cannot come in as a hero with uh, a mythical mandate to to impose change um, that judges the environment, that indicts the environment, and makes people reject their their. Their ideas or reject their, their desire to, to improve things. Um, uh, we, we've heard leaders say things like, oh my gosh, these people are on the, off the back of a turnip truck. How, you know, they're still using 1980s technology here. What's wrong with them? Hmm. Right? And, and, and nobody is more frustrated by the current state than the people there. They don't need to hear it from the entering leader that they're stupid. But leaders get frustrated, and that's what comes out of their mouth. Well, that can happen in the first four months. Right? Mm-hmm. We all, we, we've right. all heard the, the entering leaders say, oh, I'm, I have so much to learn. I'm going to just spend the first three or four months just listening. I'm going to go on a tour. I'm going to talk to people. I'm gonna, before I make anything happen, I just want to learn. Two weeks in the CEO says, so where's your 90-day plan? And out the, out the window goes the learning. In come the consultants. In come the projects. In come initiatives. Up kicks all the dust. And we're off into our I'm going to make a difference mode. We do this to executives all the time, Matthew. We set the stage for them to fail by, by creating unrealistic expectations, unrealistic pressures to, to, to see results far quickly than they should, and making them think that, you know, that they have some mandate to do something that um, they can never do. Hmm. And Those are just two examples. We found dozens of landmines like that on the way up yeah. that leaders were not prepared for and never told about.
1: Wow! And what you in the very beginning were talking about—you're—you're you're promoted because you have a recipe, and then the organizations are completely missing context. That's so—that's huge. That's that's really quite big. And I'm also wondering—you know—when people do get into those roles that fail, how much of the imposter syndrome fits into this?
2: Um, can you repeat the question, Matthew?
1: Yeah, whoa, 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 for for those individuals. Yeah, for those individuals who do get up into that higher level, they're promoted. How much does the imposter syndrome fit into this?
2: Oh, well, um, you know, so many leaders um, um, get up there and um, they feel like, I'm going to get caught, right? So they Mm -hmm. they already begin with some predisposed sense of inadequacy. They recognize that their visibility is huge. They recognize that suddenly the decision time frames are longer, the ambiguity is greater, um, and suddenly they recognize instantly um, my belief that I'd earned this or that I, I was, you know, that I suddenly a, a higher level, a, being conferred a higher level of responsibility does not automatically confer upon me new competence levels, and I have a learning curve. But we conditioned executives to think, well, you're the answer ATM. You're supposed to be the most confident. You couldn't possibly have things you don't know. And so leaders presume they have to hide what they don't know and look like they know. And so you, you instantly set in motion the sense of I'm an imposter and I'm going to get found out. And the anxiety and the stress levels that come with that are enormous. And leaders are never told. Your, your greatest asset, your greatest source of credibility is admitting when you don't know. People will trust you far more um, quickly when you're honest about that than if you try and look like you have all the answers when they already know you don't. So right. you know leaders already are predisposed to you know especially if they're achievement oriented, a deeper sense of inadequacy than most.
1: And it's like this perfect storm or the organization has these unmet expectations laid out with the prescriptions of what they expect of you and then inside at the individual level you've got this anxiety of I'm going to be found out and so many people not willing to say, hey Ron, I need some help here. I don't know necessarily this area. Let's end right there. And when we come back after the break, let's talk about the reverse of what are the characteristics that set successful leaders apart. So for everyone out there, the listeners, go to my website. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com. And we'll be back here on the other side in a couple of minutes.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're lost in the dating world and need GPS, if you're stuck in dating hell and can't get out, if you're in need of a dating intervention, then done being single with host Trevor and Robbie Sharp is your lifeline to love. From hookups to happily ever after, learn how to navigate single life and find the one. Tune in to Done Being Single Saturdays, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration that opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, with award-winning authors Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the Empowerment Channel.
2: Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com,
0: it's your world. You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to woolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed taking a look at my website during the commercial break. Now, today I'm with Ron
1: Carucci, co-founder and managing partner of Navalent, And today we are exploring the reasons why 50% of all leaders who ascend to the executive levels fail. Now, Ron, before the break, we were talking about some of those reasons. And now let's talk about what are the characteristics that set successful leaders apart?
2: So we were very excited in the research Not just be able to identify all the landmines, all the problems that leaders have on the way up that cause them to derail. But we were very excited that we were able to ask the the data the data folks, you know, analyzing these twenty seven hundred interviews and our surveys to say, okay, so if half of them are flaming out, what are the other half doing? What is it that those who are succeeding actually doing that enable them to stick the landing? And the great news was there were four very clear recurring patterns that popped in the data, you know, no matter how we cut it, um, it was the same four. Now, the problem was um, they kept coming back and saying to me that no matter how you cut the data up, it's all four of these characteristics. And so after 99 regression analyses, my data team finally said to me, run enough. (laughs) It's not going to (laughs) change. It's all four or nothing. What that means was that if you were good at three of these four patterns, there were probably seven or eight different categories of capability that kept configuring themselves in different ways as we looked at different, different factors of leadership, size of organization or age or whatever. But these four are always at the top, and if you're good at three or four of them, you still wind up in the, in the derail group. I did not want to have to say that.
0: Oh, <laughs> Once to wow. hear,
2: you've got to be good at all this, or you gotta, you're <laughs> going to blow it. Um, the great news was that they can be learned. These were not some genetic... You know Oddity or some mysterious set of traits people were born with and looking at it to have these are four capabilities that people acquired through hard work, and they can be learned so here they are the first one we alluded to before it 's called context. These leaders understood that entering their organization required of them to be anthropologists, to be curious, to adapt, to ask questions about the industry, the competitors, the trends, um, their organizational culture, to wonder and um, wonder why things are the way they are, to not just simply have answers but have better questions. They could adapt, read context and adapt. The second one was breadth. to understood that at higher altitudes, whatever function you came from was your, is irrelevant any longer. Now your job is to build bridges across the seams of an organization, not just stick to your swim lane. So if you grew up through marketing, for example, you, had, you no longer had the luxury of seeing the world through the lens of a consumer. If you grew up through finance, you no longer had this... Luxury of seeing the world through a lens of economics. But too often we see leaders grow up in a narrow swim lane, and the, and, and the conditioning from that swim lane with, stays with them, even though their job now spans across multiple boundaries. These leaders understood that organizations are naturally fragmenting places. There's a, enough centrifugal force in, in, a, in, a, in an organization that pulls you apart. It doesn't matter how big you are, you could be 30 people, and you're still going to have fragmentation. At the top of an organization, you know, in the top two levels, top two le- highest altitudes, your job mm-hmm. is to build bridges. Your job is to create cohesion. Your job is to create the context by, where, by which naturally rivaling functions or naturally disparate areas come together. You build bridges across these themes rather than reinforcing them. The third was choice. So these leaders understood that part of their job as a leader was to make hard calls. Too often, leaders rise up in organizations and their fear of disappointing people, their fear of making hard calls, of setting priorities and narrowing the focus of the organization causes them to dole out way too many yeses and in turn dilute the focus, dilute the resources and um, insert mediocrity into performance because they can't say no. These leaders understood that leadership is the ability to disappoint people at a rate they can absorb. And they have to narrow the focus. Not about, it's not about saying no to bad ideas, but it's about saying no to good ideas. So the good ideas you've already committed to can prevail. These leaders could make those hard choices and, and give their organization the gift of focus. And the last one, not surprisingly, was connection. So these leaders, these are the ones, every company has them. You've seen in Matthew. They, these are the leaders everybody wants to work for. They're smart. They're kind. They have a great personality. They, they seem interested in you. They're credible. They've, they've made a difference. They seem to have values you want to emulate. Um, and these leaders had relationships based in mutual trust with their bosses, with their peers and direct reports. All around them were people whose admiration and respect they had garnered. The key difference in these leaders was that they prioritized their relationship building not based on on who they needed things from, but on who they could contribute to. They set themselves out to figure out who could could they make successful, whose agendas could they put on their own, how could they contribute to the well-being of others. You knew that if you were in this leader's presence, or you worked for this leader, or you partnered with this leader, your life would be better. And these leaders made it a priority to make other people successful. So you can see four not small set of capabilities, any one of which was hard. Yes. Um, um, but, but for these leaders, becoming all four of these, uh, good at all four of these, was what caused them to be successful.
1: Mm. Uh, yes, and what you're talking about, these are all very attainable when you think about it. You put your mind towards it. So it's all behavior, you know, asking curious questions rather than just going into the automatic tell mode, for example, is is such a a really good one. And that very last one you were talking about, too, the the connection piece, that that does strike, you know, to having empathy. And it sounds like also authenticity is really a big part of that fourth component. Would you agree? You know,
2: I think, I mean, people, you can't fake it, right? You can't fake um, caring about other people. Um, and we all know when someone does. We all we all have a, a really well-intuited intuit, BS barometers. We know when someone is asking a question because it sounds like they're supposed to ask that question. Um, mm-hmm. I, one of the questions I ask audiences all the time when I speak is: By a show of hands, how many of you have ever received a compliment from your boss that you found insulting? <laughs> um, and and that all my hands went up. My sister huh? hands. Yeah. We all know when a leader looks like they're being obligatorily kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't make them evil or bad, it just, but, it, but, but it doesn't make me want to trust you more. And those relationships that we established, the connections we build with critical stakeholders in our
1: organization, um, make or break our success. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's in so much like Lencioni's work when you talk about five dysfunctions of a team, the 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 foundational level is trust. And we all we can feel it. We we know when someone's being real and authentic and but I'm going to take away what you just said here, context, breadth, choice and connection, all behavior related things that we can all do to be successful really, really powerful. There was something else that emulated or that really rose to the top when I was re- reading your book, Rise to Power, and or Rising to Power, and that was the drive or the compulsion for constant learning. And can you speak about that, what you found in your research with leaders who are constant learners?
0: Well, so
2: we would, we put that under, well, you could probably put that under all four dimensions, but certainly context. Um, you know, you have to be an anthropologist today. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a cliche now to say that change is constant. It's you know, it's it's by the minute. It's no longer measured in months; it's measured in minutes. And so, if you're not routinely gathering data um, for which there's a you know no shortage of right, it's no longer information is power. Now it's information interpretation of information is power. Mm-hmm. If you're no longer sifting through to get insights. Uh, ultimately insights that give you foresight um, and constantly testing your assumptions, constantly including other data sources, other voices, uh, unlikely sources of insight into the mix of your decision-making, uh, your prioritization, your resource allocation, uh, your mentoring and coaching of others. Um, uh, the moment you start resting on laurels, the moment you start assuming that, hey, I got this. And, and you put some formulaic approach to leadership on autopilot, you really are entering a pretty dangerous territory, because okay. you're just you're, you're basically just inserting blinders onto your eyes. So right. the need to constantly be acquiring information, constantly acquiring new knowledge. You know, I, I think there's that. I think some publishing company put that statistic out about uh, the average CEO reads you know, four books a month or something. Um, Who who knows if that's really true? But I think great executives are constantly looking for um, unexpected sources of knowledge. Philosophy is now sort of re-entering as a new sexy source of uh, insight for leaders. You know, we've gone to spy novels, we've gone to science, we've gone to aerospace for, Mm -hmm. you know, interesting insights. But now we're turning back to Jean-Paul Sartre and Socrates to rethink, you know, how do we think? Um, mm-hmm. But leaders find ways to broaden their minds, um, cast the widest possible net
1: for insight, because they have to.
2: It's no longer just a luxury. Uh, they have to.
1: In this fast-paced and moving world that we're in, and so it comes back to curiosity, that genuine thirst and drive to, to genuinely learn, its it's key to the profile of, of one who wants to be successful. It sounds like, you know, Ron, there was a quote in your book and I want to share this with the audience. And it said, if you aspire to executive level work and succeed at attaining it, you will inevitably suffer. And that, that word just jumped out to me to, to suffer because, you know, I often will hear things like, well, you will make mistakes or, you know, there'll be some, you'll experience some setbacks along the way. But I thought the word suffer was, was really big. What do you think about, or why, why the word suffer?
2: I think um I think we most people fail to appreciate how ruthlessly unforgiving uh, executive jobs are. We resent them for their perks, we see their compensation levels published and see you know how many more times uh, the average employee they make um, we see them We see levels of privilege uh, afforded them and we and we think that's all there is to a job and in some cases, there is no question. Uh, Income inequality. There is inequity in some of those job designs. But what we don't see behind the scenes is um, the incredible, you know, pressure cooker. The incredible level of blame uh, asserted on them for mistakes. The level of risk they're asked to assume. Um, and how often that, if you really care about your leadership, if you actually really desire to make a difference, it's going to require sacrifice, it's going to require um, being scrutinized and judged and misunderstood, it's going to require being accused, it's going to require um, being asked to bear the emotional burdens of everybody you lead, it's going to be, uh, require that you make hard trade-offs between people you love and people you lead. It's a constant um, microwave of demand. Mm. Uh, for which you're given very little credit and and excessive blame. And uh, that's just how we build leadership roles today, at least in the West. And while I don't think that's that's healthy or sustainable, it's what it's become. But we don't ever see that part. Often that part stays hidden to us, and we only see the perks. But I sit across the desk from lots of executives, and I see their tears, and I hear their heartache. And I hear their lament over, what was I thinking, taking this job? This is not worth it. I hear the, I have to let, you know, the boards told me we have to lay off a thousand people. Or how am I supposed to um, announce this new change? Or we're being sold. Um, they have to impose change. They have to, somebody's not performing and they've been allowed to stay in a job too long. And they were never given coaching or feedback. And now they have to be removed. Um, you know, the, these are the daily demands of executives that people fail to appreciate the pain of, um, and too often leaders, uh, no, no one, no one says, Hey, I got a great job for you. It's going to require that you suffer a lot, make a lot of sacrifices, hurt some feelings, um, mm. feel isolated and lonely, be misjudged and confused and misunderstood and, uh, often concocted into people you aren't, uh, want to take it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. N- n- no one offers you a job that way because who would want them? And so we dangle perks. We dangle, you know, um, ego-boosting qualities. We, we dangle all kinds of things in front of people to get them to want to rise up and take these jobs. But the reality is that it's an incredible. To do it well takes an incredible level of sacrifice and responsibility
1: you know having and such a strong sense of self and, and being able to integrate your life so that you can keep keep your wits about you i you know what we're at a break now when we come back let's talk about what organizations can do at the organizational level to help leaders be successful so for everyone out there stay tuned we'll be back here in just a few moments
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
1: Have you always known that
0: something different was possible for your life and in the world? What if you could create beyond your current reality? If your relationships, finances, business, health, and life could be
1: anything, what would they be? Join Heather Nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it. Listen live every Monday at noon Pacific and 9 p.m. Central European time for Creating Beyond Reality on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: If you're ready for big changes in less than one month's time, You're ready to tune in for Radical Change Now with Dr. Mary Oz. It's where healing meets the law of attraction in an engaging package. You'll hear from guests and callers as they share their stories, offer solutions to life's challenges, and much more. With Dr. Mary's approach, even a child could effectively learn and apply the concepts discussed on each week's show. Listen live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed.
1: VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back, and today my guest is Ron Carucci, and we're
1: discussing what are the factors for a person to be successful who wants to ascend to executive levels and when we left off before the break Ron and I were talking about the concept of suffering if you really want to be successful you will have to suffer along the way and during the commercial break we continued our, our conversation and it's, it's, it's something that's powerful it's real but really for those who do get up to that higher level. There is uh, uh, some amount of pain along the way. And, Ron, I, I want to turn this conversation to now what can we do, what can organizations do to prepare newly appointed executives to fill their new position?
2: Well, the first thing I'd say, Matthew, is they should prepare them long before they appoint them. Um, so don't wait till they're appointed to start preparing them. Breath, context, choice, and connection are things that even entry-level employees can build. You, know, you can build context by giving people the ability to ask questions across uh, other parts of the organization, to share information about strategy with them, um, to make sure they understand how their work contributes to a bigger story. You can build breadth by moving, moving talent around, by getting people exposure to other parts of the organization to see how the pieces do fit together early on. You can give people... The ability to build connections and relationships by building and by leveraging. and We already have informal networks and organizations. We usually call it the underground. You know, that's how things really get done. Well, rather than trying to hide those networks, let's exploit them. Let's allow people in their natural um, in relational pathways with each other to exploit those relationships and to keep those connections and to leverage the way they can help get things done. And we can, we can teach people about making trade a little about decision making by by exposing them to our governance structures early by giving them access to our decision making forums and our resource allocation processes early in their careers to understand how our trade-offs made how our resources allocated how do i um, forfeit one yes for another yes so that you're you're building in those basic muscles as people go from individual contributor to supervisor to leader to middle manager to senior middle manager and so that when they get to their first vice presidential role uh, in the higher altitudes of the organization, they've, had, they've, they've tasted those experiences. They've understood some of what's going to be required of them. They're not just getting it for the first time or realizing that their outage um, is huge, bigger than they thought. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that that becomes really important is you can give leader employees early on uh, what it's, uh, a taste of what it's like to get feedback, a taste of what it's like to... Um, Know how others experience them. Too often, leaders assume that they're beloved, <laughs> that people mm. like them, and so they don't ever um, wonder: uh, Is the impact of my behavior what I intend for it to have? Is my intent and my impact matching? Um, and we assume that you know these all these little idiosyncratic quirks will just go away as they get higher. So if somebody's moody. Um, as a middle manager, they're going to cast a dark cloud as a senior manager. If they're results oriented as a middle manager, they're going to have a wake of bodies behind them uh, as a senior manager. Um, right, these yeah. things don't get better with time. It's not like wine. Um, these things get darker with time. They don't. They, they don't refine. And so we ignoring people's idiosyncratic quirks or interpersonal deficits or you know evident, What's clear evidence is the pathologies. Um, getting care, getting those taken care of. With a, a coach or a therapist or somebody that can help them with that, early on will help them prepare for those roles. But waiting till f- someone's already in a senior role to get them one-on-one help or um, data that helps them understand how others experience them, it's, it's too late.
1: I, yes, I'm thinking about everything that you're talking about and reflecting on leaders in my past who didn't make it very much what you just said. Ta-da, you're now in this managing director role or whatever you want to call it, and oh, yeah, you have a wake of people behind you. It, that's too late. It's too late to do. And so I love how you keep tying it back to it really comes down to context, breath, choice, and, and connection, and to implant and start addressing those early on before moving them into those roles. I'm. You know, one of my things that I talk about a lot on the show is transformation and transformational leadership. And in your book, you talk about transformative change. What does your research and experience say about leaders who experience transform, transform, transformative change? There we go. Well, I think, you know, the, I mean, uh, the word transformation gets, um,
2: gets talked about a lot in many, many contexts. For me, I think about, I think the trans way, I think about formation, right? Mm-hmm. Before I think about trans, it's a, um, you know, we, I think we all, we, what we often confuse is in formation, meaning formation is a static process, like information. Transformation means it's a multiple levels of changes happening at the same time. And the, those can be monitored. It's not, it's not, transformation is not some magical pixie dust thing you sprinkle on the organization or on a person and hope something happens, it's multiple levels of formation um, within me. So we are our code language for that is within, between, among. Mm. Within means uh, at, the, at the deepest levels of my psyche and the narratives that shape my behavior and the tapes that play in my head that push my buttons. You know, we often have we, we often hear people say, why do I do that? Well, there's a reason you do it, and you're going to keep doing it unless you really understand the deeper reasons. So transformation happens within. It also happens between. It happens relationally. It happens between functions. You know, we we often point to the, the classic mar- rivalry between sales and marketing. Well, there's a reason those functions tend to be distressed, or between supply chain and logistics, or between finance and anybody. Um, you know, so... Making sure at the intersections of critical relationships between people and between functions that there's, there's, a, there's a healthy set of narratives, there's a healthy set of um, dynamics. And then transformation happens among, has to happen systemically in the culture, in our governance processes, in our strategic identity. Um, and for transformation to actually happen and stick, it has to be happening within, between, and among. It can't just you can you can have organizations do two of the three of those flawlessly and still fail at actually achieving transformative change because they left one out. So um, for us, um, we talk about you know transformation being something that is multiple formations, multiple levels of development happening um, at, at the same time, and we monitor it by looking for is change happening within, is it happening between, and is it happening among.
1: I really I appreciate the way that you position that in in those various dimensions that means that speaks volumes because like you're saying at any given time there's transformation happening in multiple multiple lanes different ways you know I also one of the things I I really believe that energy a person's energy is such a huge contributing factor into how one succeeds or fails you know at, at their job you know we even alluded to this a little bit earlier but if you if you come to to work or whatever you're doing and you're full of catabolic energy that's that negative it's destructive energy versus if you come to it with anabolic energy full of positive and growth oriented it really shapes and impacts your um, success factor if you will what are your thoughts about energy and being successful at that senior level?
2: Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I tended to take a real practical look at this. I know sometimes the topic of energy can feel a little bit woo-woo to people yeah. um, or, you know, t- tipping toward the new agey stuff, and I, don't, I know that's not how you mean it. But for me, um, th- there's, I think there's a dueling force. There's, there's my own sense of motivation, my own sense of drive, my own sense of what why do I know I'm on the planet and how do I feel about being here and and I I think um, you know people we we, we experience others and we have we immediately get a sense of them right if you ask somebody to be in somebody's presence for 10 minutes and ask them what was that like they're going to tell you things like they seemed bored or they seemed distracted or they seemed a little hyper or they seemed something they're going to have descriptors and and those had to come from somewhere well each of us you know our presence Sort of put stuff off, right, we, we emit something, and I think it's, that's, that's knowable. We can, we can know um, how our, um, our, our energy affects other people. Mm-hmm. I think we too often don't know how to replenish that energy, so I think there's this outside stuff that, that says, where, what, what is my source of, of replenishment? What's my source of where I get energy from as a leader? Too often leaders deplete themselves. Um, and have no way of replenishing it and they turn to unhealthy choices to replenish. So, I think there's a there's sort of a it's a, it's a it's a dual a dual sort of two sides of the same coin. There's w- 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 what drives me within. What are the what are the values and motives and principles and belief structures? What's my theology of who I am? And mm-hmm. and my presence in the world and how do I want others to when people walk away from me, what do I want them to be able to say they experienced of me if I never said a word? What would I want them to know about me? And w- what contexts around me do I need to put myself in um, that replenish the kind of energy I want to emit? I remember talking to an executive once, CEO of a very large $80 billion food company. And uh, he was notorious for allowing people on his calendar, no matter who, whoever asked. This is a CEO, but he wanted oh, wow. to be kind and accessible. And I was seeing people on his calendar and thinking, why are you seeing this person? And nice. they'd walk out of the office and they'd, they'd after an hour, and he'd be def, de, drained. Um, and I said to him, Look, from now on, if you're not going to be more judicious about who you allow, your time is the most precious thing you have to offer the organization. If you're not going to be more judicious with how you dispense it, for goodness sake, if, so, if somebody leaves your office and you don't feel energized by having seen them, but you feel ener- depleted, never see them again. Mm -hmm. Don't let that person near you because they're depleting you from doing the things you're you're here to do. So I think we have to know as leaders what sources of energy do we want to replenish the source of energy we want to be. Um, And if I don't know the answer to either, if I don't know how it is I want to energize others, if I don't know what drives the kind of energy that's positive and infectious and inspiring and insightful – um, and I and, I'm, and I and I've left it. i left it to, to to chance that perhaps I'm I'm a draining, boring, exhausting source of energy for others. And I don't know don't know that. And nor do I know how to replenish energy for me from outside that restores what I want to be. Um, you're you're leaving something to, to to chance as an executive, and it's probably going to show up in that connection box, right? It's going to probably going to show up in how you connect to others um it, it, that's really dangerous because you you are you, again as an executive your life's a jumbotron you're playing out no you're is a, there are multiple versions of you playing out all over the world and people are making decisions about their own choices they're taking cues from you you as an executive you can't raise your eyebrow without somebody attaching meaning to it if you walk down the hall too fast oh she's angry yes if you walk out of a meeting with your head down oh my gosh what happened you know, people are going to make things up about you. And if you're not managing those perceptions to the best of your ability, we can't, con- you know, we can't always control what people, what they're hypervigilant about. But if you're not trying to do the best you can to manage that, um, you could be draining others of energy that um, you don't even realize you're doing
1: yeah you melted this down to such a fine way to say what drives you within and what context helps you flourish and will replenish you it's such a, a nice way to to bring all that together we are already at a break when we come back ron we're going to distill all the key messages that we as as listeners of the conversation today need to implement to to make our leadership journey even more successful so for everyone out there stay tuned we'll be back here on the other side
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an
2: inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you define find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life. Have certainty in yourself and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment.
0: What makes you a success? Is it your business or career? Is it your family and social life? How do you achieve the next level in your success? Tune in to Infinite Success Radio with host Rachel O'Brien Eddy. Rachel and her amazing guests are here to encourage, inspire, and empower you to take control of your destiny and achieve the level of success you were born to reach. How do ordinary people become extraordinary? Find out with Infinite Success Radio. Broadcasting live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel
1: change your world, change your life.
2: VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to m.woolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. All
1: right. Welcome back. Today's show is called Leading at Higher Altitudes. Why is it that 50% of leaders aspiring to executive roles fail? And what is it that the other 50% are doing to make it and and really be successful? Ron, we've talked a lot about leadership, extension into executive roles over the course of the day. And for all of us listening to this conversation what would you say are the three to four actions that people seeking executive roles should do now?
2: Uh, one, get feedback. You know, find some um, reliable method, um, informally or formally, to to get a sense for how are those who you interact with, your peers, your direct reports, your bosses, experiencing your leadership, and get honest feedback. Secondly, go talk about that feedback. You know, so when when you when you have it, when you've been given. Uh, insights about areas you're strong you didn't know you were strong in or areas where you may be falling short you didn't realize. Get advice from people, from the people who, who matter to you about how you can change and how you can be different. And don't fear the feedback. Don't fear um, the discomfort of that and welcome it because the more you can build bridges, the more you can build resilience to knowing that sometimes you're going to do things that piss people off. Go want Go want to learn about that. Uh, and then finally, having acted upon it, go back and check. Go back and say, hey, did it work? So um, get feedback, talk about the feedback, uh, go back and see if what you did worked. Um, it sounds so simple, but it's such a profound way to build relationships, learn about yourself, learn about context, um, build bridges across. It's, it's one of the quickest ways to begin creating breath, context, choice, and connection for yourself. Uh, and become a better version of yourself along the way.
1: And, and, you know, feedback gets such a bad rap. I think the phrase, oh, Ron, let's sit down. I've got some feedback for you. And naturally our our defenses, you know, the the limbic system kicks in. Oh, well, gosh, what, what am I going to get in trouble for? You know, there's that, that whole thing. So, so many people want to steer clear of it. But what you're saying is this is it. This is the linchpin. If you really want to know how others perceive you, and you want to make a journey for yourself that's in the direction that you want to go, you've got to get feedback along the way. You know, there's this... There's yep. a, a, of course. There's mindfulness. You, you're, I'm sure you're aware of what's people are saying about that. There's also this phrase called deliberative practice. And so when you, what what I say as I'm working with clients, you know, I'll say, you know, you've got to get this feedback. Yes, but then go to someone who's a master of what it is that you're working on, and how get their feedback on how to improve. That's where you really got to. That's where you'll flourish. Is get someone who's really good. Perhaps it's at the connections. For example, how do you connect with people? go work and engage with people who are seen as stars in this area and learn from them. It's such a, a a great way to think about it. But I agree with you feedback is is a gift and I think the other thing about it is is when we get it we have to set aside the channel or or the way in which it's given and you know by the person perhaps but take the message of what it is and look at the real nuggets to apply to you what what it is that you're doing what you wish to accomplish. Okay.
2: So it's great, yeah, it's great advice. I think I think being able to learn from others and, uh, who, who have gone before us, learn from the experts, um, uh, is always a great, uh, a great thing to do, and it, it makes it makes our own learning journey a little safer.
1: It does, it does, and it, and also I'll put a plug in here too. And you mentioned it earlier. If you are a person who needs outside person to give you perspective, get a coach, get a therapist, whatever it is that you need to help you really hone in and. and you know achieve the goals that it is that you want to achieve and so and and gratefully or or the good thing that i'm seeing in the work is a lot of people are now getting coaches and that's that's great so hopefully we can get that pool expanded as you were talking about earlier the pool of qualified people to go into the c level is shrinking well perhaps you know this is a good sign by people getting some coaching and things, so everything that you're saying here, get some feedback and really hone in on those four areas, the the connection, the context, the breadth, the connections, and choice that we all have to make. Before we go, Ron, if listeners out there want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to contact you?
2: Yeah, so come visit us um, uh, at our website at com we um, we got great videos, we got a great magazine on areas of leadership and organization. You can, we'd love to give you if it's free. Uh, if you come to com slash transformation, um, we have a great free ebook. For you on leading transformation organizations, it's our, it's our playbook for how we think about within, between, and among. Um, download that for free. And if you are if you are an aspiring executive, if you are somebody who one day wants to find yourself at a higher level and you don't feel like your organization is doing a good job to prepare for you, we are very excited that we are starting uh, later this year our first Rising Together cohort of promising executives who are looking to prepare themselves for a higher level. So if you come to com slash Together, uh, we're only taking... Uh, 12 people uh, in the cohort so I think there's a, a couple of spots left um, it starts later on this year and then kicks off fully in January so if you're interested in developing yourself it's a bargain deal you get a full year of one-on-one coaching some great off some phenomenal community some learning groups it's an intense intensified development level for uh Basically, it's our way of giving back and saying, okay, if organizations aren't going to do this, we'll do it ourselves. We'll we'll manufacture the next cadre of leaders uh, to ensure they're ready. So this is our way of giving back. So we'd love to have you. If you're interested, come join us. I'm on Twitter at Ron Carucci, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. So let's keep the conversation going.
1: Yes, and for everyone listening, you can go to voiceamerica.com empowerment, and you can find more information about Ron as well. So, Ron, thank you so much for joining me today. And for everyone out there listening, if you have a topic you want covered on the show, or if there's someone that you want that can add some enlightenment to the conversation, please feel free to contact me. That's mmolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, and this platform. And until next time, harness your positive energy and lead transformation, and we'll talk with you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.